This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express Card. And we here on Savor are what you might call food explorers. It has been our actual job to go to cool places and eat, like, a lot of the food there. And then talk about it. And then talk about it into these microphones, which is a crazy dream job. Yes. Well, if you're like us and willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people like us who are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to Savor, a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about lobsters. Yes. <laughs> it is a very, very exciting day here. It is. Uh, first of all, Super Producer Andrew is from Maine. Um, he has a pervasive fondness for, for lobsters and distinct opinions about the lobster roll. He does. I am a little concerned we will get in trouble with Super Producer Andrew. <laughs> Um, and I uh, just wanted to say that while we were in Hawaii, he purchased probably the coolest lobster magnet that exists. Yeah. It, it was, moves. Yeah, it's all wiggly. It's high quality. <laughs> it's green. Uh-huh. I mean, that's the color <laughs> of, a, of a lobster, like, in the water, basically. It's true. But mm. that night, it was a magical night, and that lobster was there for most of it. It was our, there last night in Hawaii. Yes. 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 Uh, um, <laughs> I had a friend in high school who actually I, she, I, I knew her from I knew her from when she was four, but I remember in high school thinking how bizarre to me it was that on Thanksgiving they would get lobster and that would instead of turkey. Oh wow, they huh. would have lobster for okay. their Thanksgiving dinner. Cool. They were from the north. Okay, yeah, I've, I haven't heard of people doing that, but it makes perfect sense. I suppose. But you know what doesn't make perfect sense is why the world hasn't seen that picture of you dressed oh, as a lobster, Lauren. Because I've been slacking. Oh, oh, no, no. We must see this picture. Yeah. I, I wish I had video of it because because like this lobster magnet, like the little legs were, okay, so this one time I was <laughs> I was, I was working, if you all haven't heard the story, I was working uh, with a with a medical journal of as a, course as a copy editor uh-huh. we had an annual convention that we helped that the, the, the company ran mm-hmm. uh, where like 14,000 rheumatologists would descend upon a city oh my goodness and and every year we would you know market for the next year's convention mm-hmm. and one year my first year with the company we were in DC the next year the convention was going to be in Boston lobsters are in Boston and so the marketing material had lobsters on it, and one of the higher-ups got this idea that we should give away a ticket to next year's convention by dressing up some poor schmo in a full-body lobster suit and have them, yeah, go hand out a free ticket to next year. And one one day, I was that schmo. <laughs> and how was it? Uh, you know, it was heckin' great. Um, <laughs> to be honest, like this suit was it was it was really lightweight. It was a little bit warm. Um, but uh but 
the cool part was that the um you know your 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 arms are in the claws mm-hmm. and the elbows like like right, right where your elbow is right at the joint of the of the claw yes. yeah it had a string like a fishing line uh-huh. that ran down to all of the little legs coming off of the belly of the suit mm-hmm. so so when so if you put your arms akimbo and you wiggle them all the little legs would wiggle cuz they're attached to the strings that's some craftsmanship it was great i was i was <laughs> i mean also, like, you know, like, I, I was just tickled by the experience. I didn't have to do it more than once, which helped. But <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> I bet you brought a lot of joy. <laughs> Perhaps fear. I I hope less fear and more joy. I definitely, like, got a really great picture of it that I put on my Christmas card for that year. Mm-hmm. The inscription on the inside of the Christmas card was, and you thought that my degree in English wouldn't get me anywhere. See, that's wonderful. But I was technically working in my field. There you go. It, <laughs> see, sometimes your job calls you calls me to dress up in a lobster outfit. We all know it. It could happen to either one of us yeah. any day now. Oh, gosh. I'm honestly surprised it hasn't. I am, too. I feel like Ben Bolin probably has done it. Oh, I don't know. I know he's done a hot dog. Well, it it's bound to happen if it hasn't already. Yeah. Didn't, didn't you get like a lobster stuffed animal? Oh gosh, yeah. I so, so after this Christmas, this whole incident, like yes. it sort of became a meme of uh-huh. of Lauren and uh, some of my friends did in fact get me a like toddler or bigger sized stuffed lobster toy. Oh my goodness! That it was holding a big heart, I think, and it had these creepy eyes with all this eyeshadow on them or I don't know and and these big red lips and and the heart said um love lobster <laughs> of course <laughs> and eventually I was just like I don't need this in my home anymore but it's gonna show up again one day oh gosh it's like I, the cursed doll I really I would I'd, I'll take Annabelle look like I <laughs> This thing was not my favorite. <laughs> my roommate at the time was incredulous. Like, like you can't get rid of the love lobster. And I was like, you watch me. <laughs> you take it. Right? <laughs> it can go in your room. He was like, no. I was like, well, no. <laughs> the sisterhood of the traveling lobster. That's what it could be. I hope it's somebody has it and it's made their day. I mean, I donated it, so who knows? If if anyone listening happens to have it, <laughs> oh my gosh, right in. I believe it was available for purchase at like Walgreens or something like that around oh. Valentine's Day. So oh. maybe it, someone else has seen it. If your like significant other gave you a love lobster, I can't imagine getting that. I might really like it. It's hard to say. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was pretty creepy. I, I don't think I have a picture of it, but I'll I'll see what I can do. Okay. We need the picture of you in it and the, the love lobster. The love lobster. <laughs> that sounds like a show. It is seen as very romantic, which I always thought was weird because there's are any other food I can't imagine but a few that look as gross <laughs> as trying to crack open like a lobster and, and the and butter. Like, and the amount running. of work and like yeah, I always end up cutting myself yeah. and so like, there's blood involved. Yeah. It's like a weird ritual now. I mean, I, I'm not gonna tell you how to do your love life, but I like a I like a slightly gentler <laughs> meal personally. No love lobster for us. <laughs> Well, my my experience with lobster is not nearly as exciting. You can hear some of it in our Red Lobster episode. Right, right. Because it was like, that was the fancy restaurant in my life. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I do have a lot of um, cultural notes immediately that I thought of. Um, number one, Larry the Lobster from SpongeBob. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wikipedia, the first thing that comes up, I type in Larry the Lobster from Wikipedia. Residence. 457 Life Drive. <laughs> Interest, weightlifting, surfing, girls. <laughs> Occupation, weightlifter, lifeguard. It's like he's a real person. <laughs> Wikipedia. <laughs> and then there's the infamous Seinfeld lobster episode. That's the one with the shrinkage, if you know what I mean. Lobsters. Um, <laughs> the Friends episode about, you know, she's your lobster. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The movie by the same name. The lobster, yeah. Um, I will say Phoebe was incorrect. Uh, lobster relationships really only last like 10 to 14 days. Oh, my whole, that's the foundation of 
Of the lobster episode of Friends, I know. And my relationships. This is why I haven't made it very far. (laughs) Taking relationship advice from friends is not a good idea. What? I will think about that later. But right now, (laughs) let's get to our question because the answer is fascinating. Oh, yes. Lobsters. What are they? Well, a few different animals that humans eat are referred to as lobsters, but they're all crustaceans, that is, types of uh, arthropods, which are creatures that wear their skeletons around on the outside of their bodies instead of on the inside. There is the American lobster, and the one which we will be mostly concerned with today. Uh, That's a Homarus americanus, a cold-water creature, ten legs total with claws on the first four, including a a large asymmetrical pair right up front. Um, They're generally a a mottled greenish or or brownish color— Though they can come in combinations of that plus or minus, like yellow and orange and blue, or even red. Though their shells turn red during cooking because the the, the heat breaks down these bonds that lock up this one pigment with uh, proteins in their shells that make it look green-brown. Thus released by the heat, the pigment looks red. Uh, The pigment in question is axtaxanthin, which is a carotenoid. Uh, See our carrot episode. Um, Yeah, it's found in plants which are eaten by the lobster's prey. The old carrot. Yep, yep, yep. Then there is the European lobster that's Homarus gamarus. It's very similar to the American lobster except for uh, for coloration. They're dark blue with kind of cream spotting and like a like a yellow or pinkish belly. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Then there's the spiny lobster. Comes from a whole different biological family. Uh, these are warm water creatures, spiny, uh, no pronounced claws, not a rock, but a rock lobster. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I think the podcast is over for today. (laughs) That's it. Shut it down. (laughs) That was one step too far. (laughs) Never. I knew it was going to be the B-52s all this time. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, this is going to be a whole different episode, really. But I did want to put in here that spiny lobsters migrate as Cold water lobsters tend to as well. Um, but they navigate the spiny lobster via magnetoreception, um, meaning that they can sense the Earth's magnetic fields, uh, meaning that their bodies contain some magnetic material for that sensory input, although probably not enough for lobster to stick to magnet. And I don't know how many of y'all are old enough to remember that whole video, but oh, lobster sticks to magnet is a thing. How? No, I did not know about oh, this. Oh, gosh. You can you can look it up. I, w- I immediately was thinking, so Magneto can't. Like, why have we not seen Magneto <laughs> like use throwing lobsters? lobsters? <laughs> yeah. That seems like a really big missed opportunity. I think that we should call somebody. Uh, Ian McKellen. <laughs> Just I've got directly. his number. He'll, yeah, he'll be like, this is a great travesty, right? <laughs> Oh, I would love to see that. Oh, goodness. Um, but, but yeah, other lobsters are being investigated for, for this potential property since they, they do also migrate. But, you know, hmm. science is looking into it. As they should. Mm-hmm. We mostly eat the, uh, the large, unfatty, white-colored mussels that are found in lobsters' tails and claws. Um, it's a mild and slightly sweet-flavored meat with a little bit of, like, briny sea flavor to it. And it can taste a little bit musky or fishy as well. Um, yeah, lobsters. They look like a face hugger, taste like the ocean. They do look like a face hugger, you're right. They're the more pictures that I looked of at them during this research, the more I was like, oh god. They're scary. They are They're scary looking. But pretty cool. <laughs> yes. Oh gosh, I could have researched this forever. Okay. Uh uh lobster size. Yes. So this is a cool thing. Um okay. By law, in the United States, lobsters can only be harvested once they're over one pound by weight. That's a little bit under half a kilo. And there's some cost-benefit analysis in there. You, you want to let them live long enough to propagate um, and to be worth the effort of catching. Um, like even a one-pound lobster only contains about one-fifth of a pound of meat. Mm. So, yeah, smaller than that, it's like, oh, why are you bothering? Right. And, okay, the, the cool part about this is the way that lobsters grow is, uh, you know, a- as they grow, their their squishy bodies get too big for their hard shells. And so they molt and grow a new shell. They usually eat the old shell for fuel, like, immediately, because it is hungry work building a shell. And those shells are rich in calcium. 
so gross. I love it. I love it. Uh, And it takes a lobster 20 to 30 molts over the course of its first five to seven years to reach that one pound size. After that, they slow their molting process a little bit. That's like their kind of like entrance into adulthood when they maybe only molt like once a year. Mm, They slow their molt. Yeah, slow their molt. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But, um, But lobsters can get big. Yes, I can. I'm sorry, the image in my head. I got to shake that for a minute. Okay. <laughs> yes, uh, the largest lobster on record was caught in 1988 off the coast of Nova Scotia. It weighed 44 pounds, which is about 20 kilos, and was 42 inches long, about 107 centimeters. That is like just over three feet or or one meter. Like that's the size of a long toddler. Like that's enormous. I would think I had discovered some kind of alien creature before, <laughs> for sure. And scientists think it was 100 years old, which is double the lifespan of your usual lobster. Mm-hmm. Um, shellfish of a certain age, as they say. <laughs> um, uh, younger American lobsters tend to stay mostly in, like, warmish inshore waters, but older ones will venture out into the deep sea and, yes, do migrate seasonally. Uh, The record for migration is 225 miles in a single year for this one specimen that was tagged off of the continental shelf in the Atlantic and uh, found again in Long Island, New York. Whoa. Yeah. Good for you, buddy. Yeah, getting around. Mm -hmm. And, yes. Okay, I've got some lobster facts for you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They're weird. (laughs) They're weird AF. This was um, uh, Weird Lobster Facts was the subject of my very first list show yes. video, uh-huh. uh, What the Stuff, which I accidentally named after uh, um, a lumpy space princess line from uh, Adventure accidentally Time. or on purpose. Super accidentally. Like, I was just, like, spitting out all of these stuff-related titles, and I was just like, what the stuff? That's funny. And, yeah. Then, I don't know, like, a couple weeks later, I was rewatching an episode, and she was like, what the stuff? Been. And I was like, oh, man. Oh. Well, anyway. I remember that video. <laughs> um, so, yes, lobster facts. Okay, first of all, let's talk about how lobsters eat and digest. The cold-water American lobster is mostly nocturnal and is a carnivore. It, it hunts fish and shellfish and will definitely kill and eat other lobsters, though that happens more often with lobsters kept captive in close quarters than out in the world. And they will eat plants, too, but they prefer meat. Yeah. Lobsters have two stomachs. The first stomach is located in uh, in the thorax, what would consider the lobster's head, like right behind its eyes. And it contains these teeth-like things called a gastric mill that crush the lobster's prey. And yes, it looks vaguely like a scarlock, <laughs> if that's if you're trying to picture it. Mm-hmm. Um, once the food is ground fine, it passes through to the second stomach, which is this large digestive gland that, um, that, that filters smaller bits, which are more likely to be nutritive, out from the larger bits, which are to be excreted, like, eventually. Um, the smaller bits go on to be processed by a gland called the um, tamale, or tamale? Uh, not tamale. That's different. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, it's got a Y at the end, which is sort of like our liver. Ugh. And uh, this this thing will turn green when you cook a lobster, and it's sometimes considered an especial delicacy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, lobsters probably don't see very well, um, but they make up for it in terms of taste, smell, and touch. They mostly get around through smell and touch. Mm-hmm. Lobsters pee out of their faces for emotional purposes. Yes. <laughs> I, I recently had a couple of beers and was telling a stranger all about this. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. You seemed intrigued. It's intriguing. It is. <laughs> Can't say something like that and want to know more and not want to know more. That's ridiculous. Okay, uh, so so lobsters excrete waste from a few spots on their body, but they urinate out of openings on their face called uh, nephrophores. And it, this isn't just about getting rid of bodily waste and other toxins. Um, uh, lobsters urinate in each other's faces during fights, and male lobsters are super fighty. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, it, to, to express themselves, to express their full range of emotion yeah. about the experience. Um, Mm -hmm. And lady lobster's urine contains pheromones to uh, get dude lobsters, like, relaxed and in the mood. Um, Part of the lobster mating process involves the female lobster repeatedly peeing into the shelter belonging to the male lobster 
that she's hoping to mate with. That's a pretty clear signal. That- <laughs> I mean, it's hard to miss that. You're like, well, something's up. <laughs> I should go check this out. Speaking of the reproduction process, um, female lobsters practice reproductive planning. A female lobster chooses her mate, she makes the first moves, and she can carry the male's live sperm around with her for up to two years before she uses it to fertilize her eggs. She's got some tens of thousands of eggs, though, so she might collect sperm from multiple males before she goes ahead with fertilization. And, oh, man, the baby's, the baby's survival really depends on the environment she chooses for them. So it's really good that she's picky because just two out of every 50,000 eggs that she lays will live long enough to become an adult lobster of, like, catchable size. Oh, yeah. I, every now and then I have a moment of, like, we are a food <laughs> show, right? What's happening? <laughs> I love it. But what's going on? <laughs> what the stuff? Exactly. <laughs> Uh, speaking of growing, uh-huh. uh, lobsters can regenerate their limbs. Um, they're, they're not that attached to their limbs. Literally. Oh. Yeah, they can detach a leg or claw or antenna in an emergency. Um, just, just do it. Just be like, bloop, bye. Um, it's called reflex amputation or, oh um, or autotomy. And yeah, they just grow it back during their next molting cycle. You know, the, the shell comes off, they're growing a new shell, and at the same time, they go ahead and grow it back. Is this what Zoidberg was up to on Futurama? <laughs> Probably. That sounds, that sounds See, about like, right. It's all weird and squishy when he doesn't have a shell. Oh, and... yeah. Yeah, sure. Hmm. Oh, why is all my knowledge based on cartoons? Well, <laughs> SpongeBob or Futurama, that's where my lobster knowledge is coming from. Um, and another word about those limbs. Yes. Yeah. Um, lobsters have a dominant front claw, meaning they're either right clawed or left clawed. Oh, my goodness, yes. And um, the, the dominant one is referred to as the crusher. It's a little bit bigger, and it's strong enough to, to crack open the shells of prey. And the smaller one, uh, it's, like, smaller and more narrow. It's called the cutter or the Caesar, um, and, it, and it grabs food and shreds it for consumption. Okay, so I correct my statement because I have another bit of lobster information <laughs> that I got from a song that Google played for me today. Oh. Because I had it on random, and, you know, okay. it, was, it was called Lobster Domus. And, no, it was called Claws Up. By Lobster Domus. Okay. And it had this in there about the dominant claw. Oh. I'll have to play it for you later. It was yeah, strange. Yeah, I believe you. It had like a nature background. Oh. Like a nature narrator guy in the background, like the lobster's claw, but it was a rap song. Okay. Well, that sounds fun. Lobster Domus. Lobster Domus. I wonder if all their songs are about lobsters. I hope so. <laughs> I sincerely hope so. I think his nickname was Lobby Dobbs. Lobby Doms, and there was a lot of champagne references in there oh, as well. okay. Dom Perignon, of course. Sure. Anyway, if anyone wants to look into that, <laughs> please do and report back. <laughs> um, the word lobster comes from an old English word for spider, lop. And this gave me a whole new idea, lobster man. Spider man, but lobster man? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's got legs. Oh, goodness. <laughs> we are really on a roll. That's <laughs> like a lobster. Oh, oh. Oof. oh, heck. Lobster fisher humans are, are often called lobstermen. So. Oh, good. I wasn't sure that. I was like pretty sure it was a word because I saw it in a couple places, but that's good to know because yeah. I was going to use it later. So. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, the, the, the way that the word lobster came about is, is pretty fun. Um, specifically. So, okay, so ancient Romans called lobsters locusta, which, yes, is the same root that we get the modern English word locust from. And they actually used that same word, locusta, to describe locusts as well. I've seen conflicting reports about which came first, but either way, they would distinguish which creature they meant by saying locusta of the sea or locusta of the land. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in modern Spanish, by the way, the same word is still used for both, uh, langosta. Yes. Yeah. So, why don't we use the same word? And where does the whole spider thing come in? 
well. The word uh, lopa or lopi, maybe to mean spider, insinuated uh, dangly. Uh, related to the word lobe is in like earlobe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And as far as etymologists can tell, these folks in medieval England just sort of merged these two words for these two different bugs into a new word, uh, lopestra. Um, perhaps because they thought lobsters looked a bit like spiders and locusts. And, yeah, eventually that evolved into the word lobster. Oh, I mean, just the <laughs> fact that people are like, you know what this thing looks like? It looks like if a spider met a locust. That says a lot to me right there. <laughs> right. Right oh, there. Oh, it's so gnarly. I love it. <laughs> oh, um, quick note about lobster, lob- lobstermen and lobster fishing. Um, it is an amazingly involved venture. I feel like I, I like I'd really love to do an interview about it at some point, but from the brief research that I got into, like, okay, since lobsters can only be harvested once they're over a certain size, traps have to have escape vents that'll let smaller, younger lobsters come in, eat the bait in the trap, and then leave unharmed. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, since traps are left out at sea and sometimes are lost, they're required to have escape hatches for larger lobsters. Um, that the hatches will, will biodegrade after a certain amount of time to let to let a buddy get on with its life if the trapper doesn't come back for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know, producer Andrew. Like, do you have any contacts? Can you show us around Maine? I think he he seems like a person who has contacts. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what about the nutrition of lobster? On its own. Um, <laughs> lobsters, after we've just gone through all of these weird alien facts yeah. about the thing, what about eating it? Yeah. Um, a lobster's pretty good for you. Uh, it's high in protein. Uh, it's got a good smattering of vitamins and minerals. It's low in fat, but it is high in cholesterol and sodium. So, like, don't overdo it on lobster if you're concerned about your cardiovascular health. And be mindful that dressings like butter and mayo can seriously up the calorie and fat content of a meal. Yes. Always. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, numbers, numbers. Again, Red Lobster episode. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of adding butter and mayonnaise, yeah. uh, Maine is the largest lobster producer in the United States. In 2016, that came out to a historic 132.6 million pounds. The lobster is the state crustacean of Maine. You got to have your state crustacean. <laughs> You've got to. I believe five states do, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the American lobster industry is worth some $1.5 billion a year. Yes, and lobster can be eaten in all kinds of ways, plain or dipped in butter, on a lobster roll, in a lobster bake, in mac and cheese, frequently the surf, in surf and turf. And then, yeah, we've run into a lot of lobster roll opinions, especially from super producer here. Okay, yeah, so so the two main varieties are, um, are served warm, uh-huh. With with butter. Yes. Or served cold with mayo. I'm a warm with butter kind of gal. Oh, yeah? That probably surprises no one. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who's listened to the mayo episode is like, obviously. Oh, <laughs> oh that's true. That's true. I'd forgotten about that part. Mm-hmm. I think I'm a I think I'm a cold with mayo. <gasps> yeah. Boring. I know. Sorry about it. I forget which one is correct according to, to Andrew. <laughs> uh, he's making he's making a do whatever you want gesture. It is subjective. Yes. I don't judge you. Yeah. (laughs) The price of lobster is different from a lot of products because there is no government-run pricing structure in place, meaning the price can jump drastically in a short space of time, up to $14 a pound. And right now it's around $8 a pound. And probably a lot of you have this association as lobster is a, a, a nice food. Sure, something fancy, something luxurious. Yes. I love this quote from Greg Elwell over at the Oklahoma Gazette. Lobster is fancy. If you imagine a lobster talking, it probably has a British accent. (laughs) Draw an animated lobster and I bet you'll include a top hat, a monocle, and an opera cape. Just so interesting because the cartoon ones aren't that scary looking. Yeah, they're a lot cuter. I when, guess that's in general in cartoons. Yeah, well, I mean, just it, you, you cut down on the number of, like, stuff coming out of their faces. Mm-hmm. And I think it's automatically a little bit less creepy. Yes. Well, because, yeah, if I imagine, like, a real lobster with a monocle on it, oh, oh. it's a different thing. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but lobsters used to be called, in fact, the cockroaches from the ocean. And now they're, like, straight up money. Yeah. How did that happen? Well, we'll tell you. But first, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. 
This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express Card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, Another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Um, during the break, I want to point out that uh, that Andrew gave us a couple more lobster pop culture references. Mm-hmm. Um, one is Lobster Johnson, the character, the superhero based on lobsters from the Hellboy comic book series. Yes. Yeah. And the other is um, is a Godzilla monster by the name of Ibira, mm-hmm. um, which if you're familiar with Japanese, Ebi means shrimp, but it's it's a lobster, he says. And that name is killing me. It's killing me. It's so cute. I know. I gotta look that up after this. Yeah. He says it's his favorite Godzilla movie. So, so high highly, praise. Highly recommend He it. might be a little biased, <laughs> but still. Yes. Worth checking out. I'm definitely gonna check it out. Anyway, let's get into the history because yes. <laughs> this one is an emotional roller coaster. Oh, yeah. So prepare yourselves. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So Europeans were eating lobster way, 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 way back before they made the journey to the Americas, probably since they realized lobsters were a thing. Um, people in what is now Europe ate lobsters. Some experts think, if you remember in our oyster episode, that those middens, those piles they found from like forever ago, mm-hmm. those might have had lobster shells in them as right. well, but they're not as sure because they do look a little interesting, <laughs> shall we say. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but yes, Europe specifically ate the European lobster, the blue lobster, the Breton lobster has a lot of names. And this lobster is a bit rarer than the main variety and was seen as kind of a fancy thing. And from what I read, still is. And that's more so than here in the United States, like a special occasion oh. fancy hmm. thing. Okay. Yes. 
The ancient Greeks and Romans certainly were familiar with lobsters. Pliny the Elder wrote about the lobster. Uh, yeah, he described them by appearance in natural history in a, a, a long list of sea creatures. In translation, he wrote, Black elephants of the lobster kind. Having four forked legs, they also have two arms, each with double joints and a single pair of pinchers, having a toothed edge. Black elephants. Of the lobster kind. That's awesome. I'm not sure if that's a weird mistranslation, or like if it's meant to be the word locusts, or anyway. Um, however, note about all of this ancient Greek and Roman stuff that, as we mentioned in our crawfish episode, around that time, the same words were often used interchangeably for freshwater, crawfish, and saltwater lobsters of various sorts, um, and sometimes even for crabs. Eh. Yeah. Mysteries, histories, mm -hmm. confusion abounds. Mm -hmm. During medieval times, lobsters were seen as medicinal and as an aphrodisiac. Uh -huh. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> but also as food, frequently boiled and eaten cold with some vinegar. By the 17th century, the feast of upper-class Europeans might have featured lobster, and it definitely featured in their paintings. By the 1640s, the English word for lobster was sometimes used as slang for British soldiers, I think usually derogatorily, yeah. um, uh, first because of the jointed iron armor of a specific class of soldier, but it would come back later, like a mere 20 years later and, uh, and further on because of British red coats. Yes, yes. Yeah. Native Americans used lobster as bait when they fished, as fertilizer, and they ate them, too. Uh, they would wrap them in seaweed and cook them on hot stones. Ooh. And as the legend goes, this is where the clam bake comes from. Hmm. Future episode. <laughs> when European settlers first arrived to North America, some reported such a dearth of lobsters that they would pile up on the shore up to two feet, or 0.6 meters. Because they were so plentiful... They, of course, became known as a food for the poor. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When new colonists arrived to Plymouth in 1622, the governor of Plymouth Plantation said to his shame, all they, quote, could present their friends with was a lobster without bread or anything else but a cup of fair water. He was embarrassed about the lobster. Only a lobster. This was it. Oh. oh. <laughs> For a while, lobsters were simply gathered by hand at the shore. Toward the end of the 17th century, lobsterers in Maine came up with these tanks that had holes in them to allow for seawater circulation called smacks with transporting live lobster in mind. The fellows who worked on these ships were dubbed smackmen. Mm. <laughs> yes. Hmm. In the 19th century, we see the advent of lobster trapping in Maine. In 1876, the first lobster pound opened in that state. And by this time, there were several lobster canneries in Maine. And yes, up until about the 1940s, American consumers could purchase lobster in a can. Cheaply. Cheaply. Like one-fifth of the price of a can of Boston baked beans. Wow. Like people used it to feed their cats. Wow. Important to note... That this is when we cooked dead lobster, not a live lobster. And also important to note, lobsters were, like, big back then in size. <laughs> for a minute, lobsters five pounds or less were considered too small for factories to process. Huh, yeah. um, but they changed their tune when uh, the factories proved too efficient to keep that standard in place. Ah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Lobster was so readily available and therefore cheap that it was frequently fed to prisoners. It was prison food. Mm -hmm. Slaves, apprentices, and children. In Massachusetts, some servants would put lines in their contracts stating shellfish could only be on the menu for them twice or maybe three times a week because they were getting fed it all the time. Yeah. Um, lobster shells around a house were viewed as signs of poverty. However, <laughs> here's this interesting tidbit. <laughs> Sometime in the mid-1880s, French poet Gerard de Nerval was allegedly witnessed walking a lobster up the steps at the Palais Royal. When asked about it, he said, quote, How is a lobster more ridiculous than a dog, a cat, a gazelle, a lion, or any other animal? I have an affinity for lobsters. They're easygoing and serious. They know the secrets of the sea, and they don't bark. <laughs> that, I can't argue with any of his logic. They're, lobsters indeed do not bark. They're easygoing. And I see serious. serious. But easygoing. You know, I, 
I guess it's not going to complain that hard. So it's going to be like, how's he getting up the steps? I'm not sure. I'm confused by all of this. I'm confused, but desperately hoping it's true. (laughs) (laughs) During the 1880s, a lobster's reputation started to turn around, especially in cities like New York and Boston. The price began to increase. Another part of this price increase had to do with the introduction of trains and railways traversing the country. And that meant that people who hadn't had lobster before didn't know what it was and could be convinced that it was extremely rare. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Special. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Trains served it as though it were exotic. Passengers loved it. They had no idea it was considered a, quote, trash food. They just thought, I've never had this before. I like it. I would like to have more of it. Yeah. Uh, Growing northeastern beach tourism also helped as more people came to the beaches. They were like, oh, what is this? This is great. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Chefs realized that lobster looked and tasted better if it was cooked alive as opposed to dead. Beginning in the 1850s and 60s, consumers could find lobster in the salad section. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. And people, yeah, they, they really liked lobster, even this cheap salad bar kind. And demand kept going up. Number of lobsters kept going down. Price kept going up. Lobster reached its first peak price in the 1920s, and it's around where it is today. Oh, wow. That's how it was then. But then along comes the Great Depression. To rain on the lobster parade and pretty much everything else, Hmm. it was a luxury no one could afford. So what happened? It went back to the canneries, a protein source for soldiers during the World Wars. From this 2006 Mother Jones article, quote, In 1944, soldiers sat in foxholes in France eating lobster. So strange. Yeah. The lobster population was able to recover during this time. In some places during the Great Depression, particularly in Maine, lobster was still viewed as a food for the poor. Some lobster trappers might sneak up to a trap at night to get the catch of lobster and reset the trap and then take those lobsters home that night to feed their family. Children who went to school with lobster in their sandwiches might be made fun of. The first documented case of a lobster roll is from 1929 out of Milford, Connecticut. Steamed lobster meat soaked in butter served in a warm hot dog bun with a side of chips or fries, and it was... Pretty immediately a hit, Uh (laughs) but stayed fairly local at first. In 1965, Long Island became infatuated with a lobster salad roll, a sandwich found at a restaurant called The Lobster Roll. In the 70s, road stands in Maine started serving lobster meat with butter and hot dog buns, and the bun or bread was, and usually still is, frequently toasted or grilled. Mm Mm-hmm. During World War II, lobster was not rationed, which meant folks from all walks were discovering or perhaps rediscovering their love of lobster. It wasn't until the 50s that lobster started to move back into that delicacy column, a food for celebrities. Well-off folks served it at parties or at weddings. Between 1950 and 1970, overfishing drastically bumps up the price until authorities stepped in to regulate it. And things gradually evened back out. And then, in 2004, David Foster Wallace published his piece, Consider the Lobster. Uh, Yeah, this was an essay originally appearing in Gourmet Magazine that covered the 2003 Maine Lobster Festival and is a perhaps intriguing and also perhaps less than entirely scientific uh, take on on lobster's sentience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's available online if you want to read it. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Climate change, modernly, has been uh, changing lobsters' habitat and behavior. Um, Around the year 2000, the lobster fishing market in the the southern more parts of New England crashed. Um, They they just weren't catching enough to make do. In 2012, rising ocean temperatures in the Gulf of Maine causes lobster population to rise because they dig warmish water and the price to plummet. Uh, but yeah, the, the population is behaving a little bit strangely. Like it, it makes sense that lobsters are migrating further north as the previously too cold temperatures in the Gulf of Maine start warming up a bit. And it makes sense that they're thriving in this new environment. But um, but even though the adults are thriving, the number of baby lobsters in the Gulf of Maine has dropped by half in the past decade. It's it's possible researchers think that uh, shifting wind and ocean currents may be pulling lobster larvae out out of the Gulf into the deeper water. Wow. Or, um, or they might just be hatching further up north now along the coast of Canada. 
A new study suggests that over the next three decades, the lobster population in the Gulf of Maine will shrink 40 to 65 percent. Whew. That is a lot. Yeah. Uh, In 2018, Switzerland and Italy both put laws in place requiring crustaceans to be kept alive in, like, normal water conditions, not on ice, uh, during transport, and uh, that they be stunned before they're killed. And this about brings us to today and uh, the recent hubbub about giving lobsters cannabis. Uh, What? Yes. I have not heard of this. Oh, What's, my goodness. <laughs> What's up with lobsters and cannabis? Well, it, it relates really well into our size portion, but it was to, you know, take the edge off oh. before boiling them. And uh, I, I believe it was a place in New York was starting to do it, and they've been asked by health officials to not do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, okay, that's sure. Well... It does segue really nicely into our science. It does. It does. Um, uh, but but first, we're gonna we're gonna segue into one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, Another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. Well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with lobster science. Mm-hmm. So, okay, the big one, the big question. Is cooking lobsters alive cruel? The short answer is that the science jury is still out. Mm. Um, but uh, but okay, let's let's go let's go through 
the evidence and what people are thinking about. So uh, an initial point of clarity here, lobsters do not have vocal cords nor any other way of vocalizing. They, they do not bark. Um, they, they can click their claws and legs together real good, but, like, that's it. So the sound that a lobster makes when you drop it in a pot of boiling water is 100% not a scream. Um, it's most likely moisture inside the shell coming to a boil and escaping as steam under high pressure, like the, like the whale of a tea kettle. Yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the problem here is that the, the question of whether lobsters feel pain and therefore whether boiling them alive is cruel is essentially unanswerable because it ties into a larger unanswered question of how pain works. Um, because, okay, the, the, the way that we humans experience pain is super complex. For example, when we accidentally grab a hot pan, it, it's not just that we're experiencing this negative stimulus. We're, we're also upset about it. The, the parts of our nervous system that tell us, oh, hot, hot, drop, drop that thing, get it away, um, and the ones that tell us, dang, that is an injury, do not damage it more. They're both tied into other parts of our nervous system that process emotion and memory. So we experience the initial pain, and we experience hurt, uh, meaning pain not from the original source, but rather from our body reminding us that we've taken damage, um, and we're, like, mad or sad about it. And and further, being mad or sad about it can make us experience pain and hurt more acutely, especially with repeated exposure over the long term. Mm-hmm. So we know that lobsters do experience that first part. They, they, they'll move away from a source of pain just like we will. What we're not sure about is whether they experience those other two, the, the, the hurt and the emotion. Because, like, lobsters don't have brains the way that we consider them. They do have a bunch of brainy bits that are all tied together, but, but they don't have a brain that we, that we consider it. Um, studies have shown that crustaceans will remember and avoid sources of pain, but it's really hard to say whether that's a reflex or something more complicated. Mm-hmm. If this is a thing that concerns you, but you would still like to eat lobsters sometimes. You're not alone. Um, and yeah, there, there are a couple practices that are considered more humane that some researchers recommend other than pot. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can chill or, or ice down a lobster before you cook it, and that can maybe put it into like a sort of sleep state and let it go more gentle into that good butter sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, the chilling has been shown to reduce in-pot movement from ninety to from sixty to ninety seconds down to about twenty seconds, um, and some restaurants do employ a, a, a machine called a crustastun, which oh my goodness, <laughs> which delivers the strong electric shock to to quickly kill shellfish before they're boiled. Mm-hmm. Um, decapitation also works at that point. Wow! Yeah, I feel like they've moved into a zombie movie or something. <laughs> In general, decapitation works pretty okay. Yeah, true. Yeah, except with. Hydra is a whole other episode. (laughs) (laughs) I'm unprepared to talk about Hydra. (laughs) All right, all right. We'll return to that topic. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, Although all of this does beg the question, um, is it even necessary to boil lobsters alive? Like what impact does uh, alive versus dead versus frozen have on the consumer's experience of eating the lobster? And the answer here is that the reason that lobsters are either transported live or are uh, cut into sections and frozen is because um, parts of the lobster that we don't usually eat, like the guts and the brain bits, do spoil very much faster than the meaty tail and claws and will produce um, uh, spoilage or or, or the very best off flavors in, in the parts that we do eat. So, like, you can't really kill and fresh store lobsters the way that you can shrimp or chicken. And I will say that the, the, the texture of a fresh lobster is much nicer. The texture and flavor is much nicer than that of previously frozen lobster. So, Science is looking into it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, like, I, like, I've never, I, I never liked lobster growing up. I never got it. I never understood why people were willing to pay so much for it because I was like, this. if the best part of this experience is the butter that you dip it in, why aren't mm. you just dipping like bread or something else in butter. You can dip many things in butter that are less expensive. Um, And then I went to a seaside town in Maine and I had 
a lobster roll that, first of all, cost, like, less than $25. Yeah. Like, perhaps seven. Mm-hmm. And um, $7. And, and was just so full of such fresh, tender, delicious lobster. And I was just like, oh, oh, this is the thing. This is what, I oh, see. whelp. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whelp. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I remember being at the fancy restaurant, My Life Red Lobster, and I would never order the lobster because that was too fit. That was too fancy. Like oh. I couldn't go that far. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. Right, right. <laughs> I'll take the chicken. Everyone will judge me. <laughs> I think I can eat lobster. I did order lobster bisque because even though I didn't realize this was what Elaine was joking about in the time on a Seinfeld episode, but when she yada yada sex and Jerry said, you yada yada the best part. And she said, I mentioned the lobster bisque. <laughs> So I, I was like, well, I don't know what that means. But I'm going to order the bisque. I'm going to order the bisque. And it was good. I mean, it was just like a ton of butter. Sure. Yeah, cream. cream. Yeah. 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 <sighs> anyway, I, I when I was researching this, something I, that came up that I'm sure some people remember but I don't at all is uh, this whole question of whether or not lobsters can write with a pen. Oh, well, what? there's a Snopes article about it. <laughs> okay. There's a video that went viral of a lobster seeming to write, but Snopes broke it down, and it seems like it's an app, and it was all a big trick. Oh. Yep. Curses. Who, who, did, who was like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I'll convince everyone lobsters can write. I don't know. I love it, though. If it's a slow, like, it's when you're an evil villain and you got to start out small. And right. Start small, try different things. <laughs> yeah, See yeah. what sticks. Work your way up to kidnapping and murder. Learn about human nature. Right. They'll believe this lobster video that <laughs> lobster can write. Okay. Make a note. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. The evil league of evil will, 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 take, will take you at that yes, point, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Um, other important question. Do lobsters live forever? Oh, my God. Um, well, the answer the answer is no, oh. essentially. I, lob, lobsters do not age the way that we humans do. Uh, given the right circumstances, they don't stop growing. And, and they'll, you know, continue molting and growing for decades. And they won't um, lose their, their strength or their cardiovascular health because it's not really cardiovascular at that point. Um, or, or their ability to reproduce the way that we will. Uh, researchers think that they do eventually, like, run low on energy, maybe due to a a food supply and demand issue to keep them running at those increasing sizes. Um, Or maybe they'll they'll get sick and they won't be able to molt, like their shell will stick, uh, which leads to fatal complications. So Hmm. they do die of natural causes, just not the same natural causes that we die of. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, because, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And lobster shells are really cool. Um. Okay, so some some materials scientists have been looking specifically at the shells of lobsters' underbellies. Um, so, so the top the top of lobster shells and their claws are made of this very hard material that's fairly inflexible. It, it'll it'll crack under pressure. Mm-hmm. You've probably noticed that if you have ever deconstructed a lobster, as you can <laughs> yes. assume. Um, but their bellies are are shelled in with this more flexible stuff. Um, it's made of chitin, but also like ninety percent water. And it's constructed in these in these micro layers, sort of like a plywood or, or carbon fiber. Each layer has uh, fibers of chitin running through them, and 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 each layer is, is offset from the last at a slitely different angle. So the fibers run sort of crosswise, layer to layer, and and this is cool for two reasons. Uh, first off, it means that if you cut or gouge at the material, you're only going to get through a few of these little micro layers before the angle of the others start making it real hard to keep going. Um, and second, the material can be stretched to almost twice its length before it starts to go stiff and get breakable. Uh, the researchers said it's as, it's as tough as the stuff that we use to make, like, garden hoses and conveyor belts and car tires. Wow. Huh. So I really hope that something based on this design or just something made out of lobster belly shell yeah. comes out later. I, I love biomimetics. It's a really fascinating field, biomimetics being um, a design based on biological systems. I yeah. hope that um, that car that looks like a lobster <laughs> was one day made out of that stuff. <laughs> and then you would really not want to run into that guy. Oh, man. It's like a tank. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly like that. 
Yes. Yeah. Ideas. Mm-hmm. Lobster truck. <laughs> I can't remember the name of Lobster Mania. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's that's I think that's what I think that's what I've got about lobsters. We had a lot to say about lobsters. Yeah, this is the longest episode we've had in a minute. And I think we could have kept going. Oh, I I had to stop myself. <laughs> as as it is, I think I went on too long. I did not get my other homework done for the day. But <laughs> um you got to consider the lobster. You got to consider the lobster. Mhm. Well, this brings us to does that sound Zoidberg makes? <laughs> oh, I can't. I, I can't reproduce it personally. <laughs> I gotta add it to my list of impressions. <laughs> it's ever growing, and not, I'm not marking anything off. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. All right. Samantha wrote. I'm currently binging the show a bit to catch back up since I fell behind. I'm on the chocolate chip cookie episode. Since I still had the Nutella episode in the brain, I thought I'd share with you wonderful, delicious concoction my husband came up with, Funfetti Nutella Cookies. Ooh. Yes, it's as good as it sounds. He freezes small dabs of Nutella so that they're solid enough to handle, then makes the Funfetti cake mix into cookie mix. In each cookie, he stuffs a Nutella ball, totally encasing it in the cookie dough. The result is a delicious cookie with melty, delicious Nutella inside. Wow. I'm sure it would work with other sugar cookie variations, but it's more fun with Funfetti. <laughs> I mean, it's in the name. It- it is. Oh, that sounds so good. Delightful. Oh. I've done that once with like a cupcake and I put cookie dough in the cupcake. Uh-huh. Hmm. But I've never done this. Yeah. Ooh, experiments. Mm, yes. Excellent. Alan wrote, I would like to make a few observations after, after listening to your recent podcast on MREs. I speak from over 42 years of eating field rations in one sort or another, from cans to the modern iterations of U.S. and Canadian rations. Along the way, I've had a chance to try British, German, and French rations. The first thing to say is that today's MREs are vastly improved over the old canned rations. Ham and egg omelet and chicken bits and a slimy gelatin come to mind. The second point I would like to make is that means of heating them have also varied. Early rations had hexamine heating tablets, which gave most of the food a unique chemical taste. The meal pouches have also been heated on top of lights and office trailers or on top of engine manifolds. Some were riskier than other methods. A preferred method was a pot of boiling water or a pressure cooker. The modern self-heating pouch has done away with much of the uncertainty about heating the meals. However, an awful lot of them are eaten cold. As great as the modern rations are and the variety available, it still doesn't preclude with an outpost getting a few weeks of rations with a couple of meal choices. Imagine three meals a day with the same menu for a couple of weeks. Even poached salmon will be tiresome. Oh, yeah. 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 I can imagine. I can... And see that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I know variety. Y'all, it's delicious. It's important. Mm-hmm. It is important. I've been really appreciating everybody who wrote in about their MRE yes. experiences. Oh, goodness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So expect some more of those over the coming weeks. But in the meantime, we would like to thank both of them for writing in. Mm-hmm. And if you would like to write to us, you can. Yeah. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SaverPod. We do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Andrew Howard and Dylan Fagan. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com.
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, Whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 